you what. When you guys find <coughs> the one who keeps stealing the socks, oh, no. it's going to be the same one as the middle one. Sarah's mic. It's going to be the same one. Turn it on. Hello? You got to turn it on. You gotta stop pushing 27 buttons. Just push oh, no. one and then you know it's up. You know, I know what I gotta do. You got this, Paul. Push one button. Everything's been switched. Nope, this is just from the middle. Yes, but everything's been switched. I'm lucky though. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, turn it up just a hair. I'm trying, honey. Oh, no. <laughs> so. We were talking Tuesday, and in that conversation, this message, I'm not sure if this is going to be a series or if this is just a one-time talk, but it really hit me about let's have a talk. Is God invited to your dinner table? How many of you guys sit down at the dinner table and eat? Because in America, most of your meals are served on the kitchen counter, and then we go to the couch or your recliner, and we watch the television, and, and we're distracted, and we might have a couple of words, right? And that's just the way that it goes. I mean, like, we can sit here and say, well, not me. I've recently become part of a home that didn't even have a dinner table when I got there. And there was a reason for that. So, so things had happened in the past that drove a belief system that got rid of a dining room table. And when I hear the stories, my heart breaks. Because I love it. I mean, my family, we Sunday dinner, Sunday afternoon. It didn't matter. It wasn't always a great food. I mean, mom made mom made 15 bucks stretch a long, long ways, right? So Sunday, <laughs> Sunday you got what you got. He loved it, but it was sitting down. And, and my brothers and sisters and I always fought, uh, farting and belching in inappropriate behavior, and mom screaming and yelling. And well, you got all these boys, right? There's seven boys and two girls, and the two girls are the oldest. And then you have seven boys. The funnest Thanksgiving we ever had was when somebody got a mini tape recorder. And wow. he would tape record all the gas. And he'd run around. <laughs> it was just funny, right? But that was, regardless of how you feel about those bodily functions, 
we were having fun as a family, right? But we would sit down at least on Sunday. But what about the other meals? What about the other 20 meals a week? What happens? And how often... sit down to a meal around a table. Right? How much time are we missing with our family? How much time are we actually being intentional to, to give to the next generation or to give to one another that which we hold in our hearts, right? So God has molded and shaped us into being these unique and amazing people. And la-di-da-di, everybody has something to give. Right? And the thing about it is that the enemy has taken away so much. So how do we expect our children to grow up with these values if they don't get them somewhere? Why do they want to follow your rules just to follow your rules? Are we looking at behavioral modification or heart transformation? You see, because heart transformation comes... When we sit together at a table, when we do life together, we get heart transformation. And that means, that means because I can see the love that my parents have for me, then I just want to be a good kid. When I recognize that Jesus loves me and he died for me, then, then I, just, I just want to be better. There's a character inside of me that now it came from the Lord. But my goodness, how I would have died. To feel the love of my father. I was 40 years old the first time I ever heard my dad say I love you. And I've never heard it since. What does that do? Where does that leave us? What deficit does that leave in the heart of a child who is now a man or a woman? And does it have to be our brothers and our sisters, our mothers and our fathers at the dining room table, or can it be extended family from people from church? People out in the world who just need, like, like that, who's got that person that you go to the specific gas station because that one person is just always amazing? Right? I was out in Beaver Dam, uh, three years ago and I went to Quick Trip and I went and I took care of some business and then I went and got some other business and I checked out and the joy from that woman behind the counter absolutely lit me up that I'm driving down the highway and I turn the car around to go back and thank her for filling my heart with joy but it's these types of people, the people that that maybe they do something that feels special in your heart, or maybe you can just feel and sense that they're alone. And they could use somebody to love them. 
They don't have that place to go. They don't have that family. Like, what good is all of our Jesus stuff if it's just head knowledge and it doesn't do anything for our actions? So when we look at King's Table and we see and we hear people saying, oh my gosh, thank you so much for serving the community. Those words should express to each and every one of us that there is a hunger in this community to be loved. Amen. Because I know many of you, when you came to this place, you weren't exactly feeling like you were all that in a bag of chips, maybe. Right? And it's only until you get to recognize who God created you to be and how much he loves you that you start to actually change your beliefs. And you're like, God, you really think that I'm something? Is that I do. I love you, kid. You, you are. You fill my heart with so much joy. Shut up. Nobody's ever said that before. Well, I'm your father. And I said it. So really, God? You're really my beautiful child. I really, truly love you. And it doesn't matter, kid. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world is saying. Would you please pay attention to what I'm telling you? Because I'm the one who created you. Like before this whole world, when the world was formless and void, and the waters floated around, before all of that, I knew you. I knew you. You were in my heart. You were in my heart, and I couldn't wait until the day that you'd be walking on this planet. And then I knew you'd walk away. But I had to let you. And I put so much in you that, that all I ever wanted was you to come back. And now that you're back, I want you to know that I love you. I love you so incredibly much. See, because that's the way that dad loves. But many of dads today don't know how to love like that. They don't know how to love like God loves. Why? Because they didn't get taught how God loves. Right? And so we personify God to take on the characteristics of our earthly father. And we feel God is this harsh guy. And so the last thing that I'm going to do is invite my dad over to my home to have dinner. No thank you. I'm not ready for that kind of torment. I don't want that stuff in my home. I don't want that stuff to wreck my heart, so I build a wall. And I can say I forgive him. Absolutely, but I'm smart enough to just... When you decide to change, the door is always open. Is that correct? Sometimes. Sometimes you have to protect yourself. I'm a pretty big boy, though. Right? I can handle some stuff. God bless me with an amazing, incredible helpmate who can help me when I struggle, when I'm hurting. I have an incredible family here. Amen. But is God invited to your table. 
You see, because the problem with that thought process that I just walked you through is that I was inviting my dad, my earthly father, to my dinner table without inviting God first. You see, because what's the will of the Father? Is the will of the Father that I do all these things on my own, or is the will of the Father that I learn to count on Him? And that I put Him first and foremost. And so even before I invite my Father to dinner to meet my wife, I invite my Lord to my table to consecrate that place, to make that holy ground that my father and his way of living never has the power to destroy what God is building. <coughs> you see, we have to learn how to put God first in everything. And so what I ask you is God invited to your table what I ask you is God invited to your table that's not just a rhetorical question it's not, it's, not a, it's not a question that doesn't have an answer it's a question that needs an answer and it needs an answer from a heart that's crying out, that's hungry for the Lord you see because we can keep going and doing the things that we do because that's what we're good at and I can say goodbye I love you My wife will never, ever believe it until I take 20 seconds, 20 seconds to give her a hug, to kiss her on the cheek, to look her in the eyes and say, I love you so much and I thank God for you. You have a blessed day. Because that's how my father leads me to love Busyness is a distraction from the very thing that I'm called to do. So I ask you, is God invited to your table? I'm going to pray and then we'll get the message started. Right. So Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the rich blessings of your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Father God, that we can forgive that each one of us falls down each and every day and you pick us back up, Lord God. We thank you, Father God, for forgiveness. We thank you, Father God, for love and blessing. We thank you, Father God, for this message. Whatever it is you want to say, Lord God, would you please just fall fresh in this place. Send forth your Holy Spirit to fill each of us that we might receive what it is that you're talking to us about. Lord, help us to receive. We love you and we thank you. Amen. So you sit down to dinner, right? You finally got the family together. Somebody say grace. And who's got the wise guy in the family? <laughs> who's got him? We got him, right? Yeah. God is good. God is great. Take it from this food. Amen. Let's eat. We're done. Is that sufficient? Is that okay? Arguably. Right? For, for a little kid, that's cute and cute as all get you. One lesson I can tell you, and this is a sidebar, this is free. If you know the intercessor prayer, right? The person that can intercede, like they just absolutely love to pray for everybody around the world and all that, right? Do not let that person pray for your meal. 
Right? Your food, your food is cold. And I'm a little bit pudgy, kid. When it comes time for dinner, I'm ready to eat. Another another free tip. Pray before when you go to the buffet, pray before you dismiss to go to the line. Because I'm fast like I'm just I don't run through a buffet line like a tornado through whatever. I'm, Woo! And I'm back and I'm sitting down. No evil bites. My wife's got her plate. She's got a piece of broccoli and she's walking around looking. And she, you know, and I'm just using her as an example because I don't want to throw anybody else under the bus. This isn't necessarily her. Like, you know, like checking, flipping the chicken and making sure that piece of well, that's got a little, oh, that's a little, and then going over here and looking at that. I'm sitting here and I got this stack, right? This master Big Mac heart attack stack going on and I'm ready to eat. Looking over there. Just push the old lady out of your way and go. Let's go. Right? She's being all nice and sweet. Just waiting and looking. I'm not so sure. For the love of Peter, Joseph, and Mary, if you don't get back to me, we're going to eat! It's time! Right? Because you can't eat without praying. But there's always that one person in your party that takes forever in a buffet line. It's the same Chad and Kathy that wants to sit and talk instead of looking at the menu. The waitress comes back 17 times. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Look, lady, give us 45 minutes first, then come on back. Me? I, come, I walk into the restaurant hungry. Like, just the thought of going, my stomach starts going, oh, yeah, here we come. All right. You know, I, I, Brett Robin, I can, taste, I can taste the campfire sauce 15 minutes before I get to the restaurant. That fry and the dip and the oh and the oh, boy. Like, I literally said, Dodson, can I get you something to drink? And fries with campfire sauce, please. Right? Like, right off the bat, let's go. Get it. Right? <laughs> That's what happens, like, when you're raised with a lot of kids in your family, like, it is time. It's time to eat. But... So we have this person who, who God is good, God is great, thank you for this food. And somewhere between there and the 15-minute sermonette, the mini homily, there's this balance point. There's this place where we genuinely give thanks to God. Right? Because how many kids do you know that want to sit there for 10 minutes while mom or dad prays for 20 or 10 minutes, right? And the kid's going, gosh, I really want, I'm the kid. I might be 52, but I'm the kid. Like, I really love the little starving kids in Indonesia. I do. Like, seriously, don't show me pictures. I will cry. But, like, can we pray for the kids after dinner? Like, I want God to be part of the meal. I want God to be welcome at my table. I really, really, most, more important than all the food that's on the table is God's presence. You've got to have God's presence at the table. That's really important. So somewhere in between there, 
Somewhere between this and a homily lies the heart. This one could argue is no heart. This is, this is I want to get to food. The other one is a heart for the world, which is a beautiful thing. But somewhere in there, there's a, there's a prayer. There's a prayer that's inviting God to the table. Is this really like the new way to family? Where we don't invite God to the table, where we don't sit down at the table, where, where we sit at the couch and we recline? That we have the distraction of the television going on? We can't really even have a conversation. Our heads are in our cell phones, right? Like we can't make it through dinner without looking at our cell phones, right? Should there be a basket set aside from the table where we can set it over there? Yep. And just say, you know what? It only takes us 15 minutes to eat, guys. We're having sandwiches, man. It's not like we're carving turkey and ham and, you know, roast beef. And, you know, we don't have 47 entrees and 37 sides. We're going to take 15 minutes. It's all. That's it. But is this thing we call life act as a distraction from our family life. And I mean that even here. Even here and even out in the world. I was so distracted by the giddy up and go, by the constant rush and barrage of we got to get stuff done that we can't actually even be family. We've got our head buried so deep into our phones and into other devices that we can't even recognize that somebody next to us actually just needs to be loved. Is this really progress? Is this truly where we want to go? Like, think about where we're going without rationalizing, is that where you want to go? Or can you think about you as a child and say, the one thing that I always wanted was love. I wanted my family. I wanted things to be different. And now that maybe you're a parent or you're going to be a parent or you're a grandparent or wherever you're at, or maybe you're just a person who sits in church, and you have an opportunity at King's Table to go sit next to somebody who's alone. Is life a distraction for living? And we have to make these, make these things. They need to be conscious thoughts, but they also need to be that heart transformation. Because I'm going to argue that as, as a Christian, if we don't start making a difference in the world, the world's going to start making a difference in us. And it already has. The church is doing some heinous things. Trying to say that it's okay. But it's not okay. It's not okay, beloved, for us to go to the way the way of the world. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We are to be disciples of Jesus Christ who make disciples who make disciples. So we need to be self-replicating. Well, when you're not spending time, how are you self-replicating? Are you even worried about being a disciple. 
Is the thought of serving God actually a conscious thought in most of your day? And be honest. Be honest, because most of us are on autopilot for our days. I know what I've got to get done. And it's hard. It's hard sometimes to actually put God into everything that we're supposed to be doing. But God needs to be first and foremost. He needs to be at the front of everything that we're doing. Because God is not going to ruin your life. Right? But we're worried about that at some measure. God is going to bless our lives. But what is it that we're worried about? What are we doing? It's those distractions. Parents, friends, or family members. These are the things that we can make disciples of. My neighbor, I have not even asked him if he's Christian yet. I've been there since September. And it was just dawning on me today. Like, You've never even asked him. I've never invited him to church. I borrowed his log splitter. We're tight. We're personal, right? I borrowed his post pounder. Bugs, right? We're men. We did chainsaw stuff. Dropping trees. I thought we were going to do it. High five, good job. Yeah, you dropped that right. I tell you, a lesser, a lesser man in the world knows lots of you. have never been able to put that tree right there, I'll tell you that. But you did that just like that. You're a champion log dropper. You know, oh, that was good tree, tree dropping. Way to fell that tree, buddy. You got it. Like, we're tight. And I've never asked him if he's going to church. He knows I'm a pastor. You see, even I can just go through life. Even I can struggle in my relationship with God to put him first and foremost. I can. It's really easy to do. Really easy to do. Who's invited to your table? How many of you guys can figure out one day a week or one day a month where you open up your table, you open up your home to have a meal. And does it have to be your table? Could you just invite somebody to Culver's or McDonald's? I will, I will tell you this. Here's, here's a deal I will make with one of you. If you cannot afford a McDonald's meal and you know somebody that you want to invite, you talk to me privately, and I will pay for that meal. And that's even kids. I don't care. If you got a buddy that you want to take to McDonald's and have a meal, you let me know, Mikey. I'll even give you a ride. Mom, we're not coming back here again. <laughs> but what's being spoken on your table? really need to be checking ourselves, guys. All right, everybody turn in your Bibles to Romans 1. Ooh. No, we're not even going to that piece. Oh, no. no. <laughs> if you need a Bible, we have some Bibles back on the tables, correct? Yep. 
Romans 1.16. You're very welcome. You'll also find it at the top of the page. Right after it says disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Look for Romans 1.16. Bingo. Everybody there? Got it. Got it. saying God bless you to the cashier yet. Okay, we got a few of those. Right? So this is another way to do it. And how many thank yous do you get? Oh, thank you. Or God bless you too. Right? Just those little bitty things. Because the more that you put God into your life, the more God will be in your life. Right? You have to, you have to create latitude in your world for God to function. It's just like this church. There is nothing about a church and the functionality of a church that I don't know, that I haven't been taught. Nothing. I can make this church function just fine without God. I can do it. Me neither. A church without God is a godless church, and there's no way I want to do it. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that so oftentimes we get stuck because we know how to do something that I don't need to, I don't need God to do it. So we create all these systems and all these policies and all these procedures, all these ministries, and we just circumvent God altogether for God ideas and God things. Have you invited God to your table yet? Or are you so diaper and busy coming up with great ideas that you forget them? I'll tell you what, I've been in a lot of churches, and I will guarantee you this, that most of them don't need God for much of anything. 
the obligatory praise God But where's the faith? Where's the heart? Where's the love? Where's the... Where is it? Because a church without God is a church without love. And I've been in enough of them. There's a difference between accidentally hurting somebody and intentionally hurting somebody. Remember we were talking about discipline? There's a little thing in the Bible called church discipline. It's in there for a reason. But yet we think that we're saving people by not disciplining them. By not having the hard talks and say, I love you. Right? Our children actually want to be loved in these ways. Like, tell me, help me to do this. You have an opportunity from a seedling until a full-grown sprout and then out the door they go to raise them. You have an opportunity to love people from the time that the relationship begins all the way up until maybe one of you pass. We have an opportunity as a church plant to put God in the middle. And so when you look through our paperwork, our constitution and our bylaws, we talk about relationships, Christ-centered and Christ-honoring relationships built at the speed of trust. You see, it's not just about getting stuff done. It's about inviting God to the table. It's about Him being front and center. He is the head of the table, period. Why is it called the King's Table? But yet... When we do these things, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. So do you believe and understand the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ? And why would you be ashamed to offer somebody eternity in heaven? To introduce them to the one that can change their eternity. We talk about it, but I don't know if we talk about it enough, but each and every one of us, Lottie Dottie, everybody's going to die. Mm -hmm. Period. Cold hard fact, you are not going to elude. The question is, where are you going? Where are you going? Heaven or hell? There is no Valhalla. Mm -hmm. No purgatory. No Legion Field. Legion Field or whatever that is. You see, these are places for people who struggle to be hot or cold. They struggle to be in love with God. Like when you look at a lot of things in this world system, you'll see a lot of things based on the love of God, but they won't speak about God because they're afraid to speak about God. But why are you afraid to speak about God? We'll design an entire religion based on a lot of the words of the scripture, but we'll take God out. Look at the Quran. Look at the Quran. They've changed his name. They put another. They put another person in front to be the prophet, and then they've changed a bunch of stuff after that. But start looking. Start noticing. You see, because we need to put God first. 
If we are not ashamed, is it okay to speak God at our table, to invite him to have the conversations we have? All of them? How many of you guys would invite God to every conversation that you have? Every one of them. Every conversation. Everyone. I'm a guy. And I know you girls do this too, but I'm, because I'm a guy, I can speak for I lived with my sister for six months. I tell you what, she made my guy friends and I out to be just kitty cats. Her and her friends, it's like, oh my gosh. So I'm asking you, would you allow God into every conversation? Well, guess what? He already is. He already is. He's omnipresent. He's always there. Is the Christian any better than those who aren't saved? Like, what about your, your big old moniker, right? Like, we all want that big old shiny C in our polo shirts that we can go down to the country club that only the people with the big C on it get to go to, right? And we're, we're, we're better than everybody else? Well, then why is the reputation of the Christian that of somebody who thinks that they're better? Because I would argue the exact opposite. I've seen a lot of good people who don't know Jesus Christ out in the world making a bigger difference for absolutely nothing Amen. than we do in the church. But yet the church stands back and watches the world tear our society and our families apart. Where are you, church? Where are you? Where's your love? Where's your Jesus? But on Sunday morning, you can put on your tie and polish your shoes. Walk in the door of a church, head held high, chest out. After dinner, you get to go to the restaurant, and everybody sees you in your Sunday go to meeting clothes. Oh, are you just coming from? Oh, yes. Pastor gave me just the best sermon. You should have been there. It was absolutely fabulous. Oh, my gosh. He spoke about God. He spoke about Jesus. It was wonderful. Oh. Yeah, I'll take God. Sixteen of them there flapjacks, four pounds of bacon, twelve eggs, and uh, throw some extra butter and hay if you could get that, and, and then I'll tip you 43 cents, please. <laughs> you have me till the end. Exactly. Like, hop <laughs> right there, Carol. <laughs> I feel it, and, and I'm tired because, because I'm broken, because God who loves me so dang much who sent his son to die for me, I squander that away frequently. And I allow anger and frustration and gluttony and all these other things of the world destroy my relationship with God. I put them over the front, and it masks God. And I can't see him as clear through all the stuff in this world. I don't even pay attention. But that's me too. That's me too. This is a call to do something different, to be something different, Amen. to actually let the words of God penetrate our hearts 
so that we walk out differently and change this world that we're in. Because we can't keep doing it the same. Our kids are dying. Why is abortion and adoption and all these things such a deal? Why does it cost $40,000 to have a kid? Why does the church, I'm, this one on Facebook gets, my, gets me riled up every time. When people are talking about abortion, they say, well, where are you, church? Don't tell me you don't want abortion if you're not willing to adopt a baby. Well, I don't have 40 grand laying around. Give me the kid. I'll take the kid. Right. I'll take as many as we can feed and then six. Right, honey? Yep. Oh, no! <laughs> but what happens, what happens if the church stepped up before that and we taught values to our families? What if we taught the values and the importance that we actually help kids understand heart transformation, that they're not looking for gratification from a male or a female, and they get themselves into trouble because they need that relationship to validate their own life. Otherwise, they're not going to deal with life at all. But the church and the families aren't stepping up to love our kids and raise them. And I'm talking about you and I. And I'm talking about you and I to one another, not just to the kids, but we, the kids of Christ, need to step up and do a better job loving one another, caring for one another, doing what God is actually calling us to do so that people know that they're loved always. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, and some people got some jacked up ideas up here, and they're really hard to love, right? Like, it's hard to grab a hold of a porcupine. But you all know the porcupine in your life, right? That person who just... We're ready to throw up rules. Don't you even don't you. Stop it. I was like, I tried calling you 13. You should have tried 14. Right? You do everything you can for him, and you look at Facebook, and all you see is, be little, be little, be little, be little. Nobody loves me. Bullhogging. Now, here's the deal, Lucille. Here's the deal. People are in need of love. This victim mentality comes from a false belief system that's spurred on from a poor childhood and a poor thing that was taught to them their entire lives. You can't expect them just because all of a sudden you offer them a Happy Meal to put a smile on their face. I don't like McDonald's! Well, well this ain't Burger right? King. Can't have it your way. So, so the deal is... Then we actually have to do what God has taught us to do, and that's Christ-centered and Christ-honoring relationships built at the speed of trust, and they're hard sometimes. But I'm telling you this, if you invite God to the table, things become a lot easier. They become a lot better. He's actually got answers. He's been through this a time or two. He knows what he's doing, but will you take the time to zip it and listen? Close this. Open these, receive it here, move with these, reach out with these, and do what he's calling you to do. Amen. Come on, preach it. I probably can. That was good. That was good. Oh, okay. You can watch okay. it later. I will. But what are we doing? Romans 12, 9 to 13. 
Romans it. 9 is exactly eight chapters after Romans 1. You'll find it right before Romans 10. We'll talk about that in the later. Go through Romans 11 to 13. Are you there? Got it. Yeah. Romans 12, 9 to 13. I thought we were going to 9. All right, so let love be genuine. What does that mean? What is genuine love? So is Hallmark. Next. So it's just about speaking the truth? It's just about speaking the truth? There's more to it. I'm just putting it in a that's a hard nutshell for me. But I know what you're saying. Let love be genuine. How about it actually comes from your heart? But how are you going to love somebody genuinely when you have a blackened heart because you've allowed the world and behavioral modification is the driver? Like, oh, I just know that I need to do this. It's not out of this desire and this changed heart that calls you to do something so beautiful and loving like this thing that I just can't stop. I'm bursting at the seams with a love for people. There's something in me that just wants to love people. That's genuine, right? Like God has created something so beautiful inside of me that I can't stop it. That's genuine, but you're not going to get there just because of your behavior. People will see through you. They will read you like a book. How many people have been to a state-mandated counseling program? Oh, God. Right? And so you go there and you're like, oh, well, good afternoon, Fred. How are you? Slam the door in their face and walk right back out. I am <laughs> not part of this game. What's the difference between that and the Christians? Oh, Hi! That's just so wonderful to see you. Shut the door, walk away, like you're so, like, come on. People read through you when you're not genuine. When you're not real, they can read right through you. But you see, the heart that is not genuinely loving people is the heart that feels like it's forced to do it. Like we all know to love one another, and that's okay, but the heart that's surrendered to God the heart that's so filled and operating on the love of God, that's the heart that does it. I don't care what Pastor Fred said. If it's not in the Word, don't listen to it. I'm telling you, I'm serious. That word right there supersedes Pastor Fred every single time. And so if genuine love, if I'm telling you something that's false, it's not in there, skip it. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Be real. Allow God to mold your heart. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is in the Bible. If you don't have this highlighted in your Bible yet, maybe you should today. 
So if you guys all figured out, his, the table is just, uh, it's a proverbial table. But I'm not actually talking about a table necessarily. Did you get that yet? So when I ask you what lessons are taught at your table, how about this if I say that the table is not always the table? Okay, the table's not always the table. The table is anywhere you're at. So what lessons are taught at your table? Or don't you even eat at your table? If preparing your table meant putting your heart in the right place before you could eat, how cold would your food get? All right. So the benediction out of Second Thessalonians. Check out Second Thessalonians. Where is that? I'm waiting. Oh no! <laughs> it's even farther back in your Bible. Bible, Bible. It's a French version. Still ready for the Second Thessalonians. It's after Corinthians. I'll give you a hint. Yeah, the third, the third hasn't been written yet. Second Thessalonians. Three sixteen. All right. So I wanted to read these next two for you guys. So you understand the heart of the author, you understand the heart of, of the apostles, you understand how much love these, these men have, and how God transformed them by the renewing of their minds, right? Because these are things that are very important, it's not just coincidental that they're in here. So 2 Thessalonians 3.16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Where does your peace come from? Where does the peace come from? <coughs> from the Lord. If you're looking for it from me, I can teach you how to get there. I can't make you get there. And I dang sure can't give it to you. I was not sent here to complete you. All right, in a different doxology. From Jude. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude. Yeah, I do not think this is the one that uh, they were singing about. And the Beatles. You ever hear the Beatles? There's only verses in that book. 
125. Everybody ready? Uh, you see it? All right. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And how beautiful. Like, these little nuggets are actually in your Bibles. Think about this. Think about God. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's one God, one Jesus, one Holy Spirit, three and one. All right, so Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this night. And we thank you that you're teaching us how to love. Father God, I ask that you would uh, be invited I ask that you would come to our tables, that you would come and, and sup with us, that you would share this night, that you would share our nights with us, that you would help us to uh, have that heart transformation. Father, we love you so much. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.